1: 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast.
0: Welcome everybody to the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show Wednesday edition. Got a lot to get to with you today on updates from the battlefield in Ukraine, What are EU partners going to do about this? NATO partners, what's going to happen with these MiGs, the Polish offered up um, that looks like they're not going to make their way all the way to Ukraine, at least not yet. The political fight back here at home over energy. The Biden administration wants it both ways. They're not standing in the way of energy, except it's going to end the world if we don't stop using fossil fuel. So well, which one is it? They're lying to you even more about the don't the, I, I, the parental rights bill in Florida, we need to stop using the term that they use for it because it is meant as one of propaganda. It is a lie, but that's how they've managed to get so much attention for all of this. And beyond that, um, I have a, a story I want to talk to you about with the Shackleton Voyage. So uh, the Shackleton ship Endurance was found. Um, under the sea that'll be later on in the show i just love that book the uh, book endurance about the actual the non-fiction book about the Shacklin' voyage. we'll talk to you about that later That's a book recommendation for the weekend gonna mix things up we got our friend raheem kasam joining uh later on in the program to talk to you about he's from the national interest editor-in-chief there carol markowitz jo- he's gonna talk about ukraine carol markowitz joining to talk about The slow walk away from we know masks work, we know lockdowns work, to, well, I mean, like, not really. And they're saying this in the New York Times, uh, but we'll dive into that. And then the bottom of this hour, actually, coming up in just a few minutes, Jack Carr, former Navy SEAL sniper, number one best-selling New York Times author of a thriller series, The Terminal List. Uh, He'll be with us. I wrote an op-ed with him on foxnews.com. Uh, Right now, you can go check it out. Uh, Here's how America can help Ukraine cripple the Russian war machine. If we're going to do it, if we're going to be assisting them, we might as well do it the best way we can. But here's the big uh, concern right now, Clay. As this is clearly getting worse, and as exactly as we had anticipated, um, Putin's, this is on the Daily Mail right now, for example, Putin's hospital atrocity. I mean, you are seeing the awfulness of war and people are becoming more emotionally involved in the desire to do something in Ukraine. What does this mean if Putin starts to lose? Here is a nuclear weapons expert, Joe Sirincioni saying if Putin starts losing, the risk grows.
2: Well, that's the danger, ironically. If he is losing the war, the nuclear risks grow. The stakes for him become very high, and he may feel like a gambler at the table who's losing his hand. He's just going to bet the house. And Russian doctrine does allow for something called escalate to de-escalate to use a nuclear weapon first to try to back off the West if they're losing. He's right about
0: that. That is Russian military doctrine that they will, they will use a nuke to, to, as essentially a, a, a back-off maneuver if they think they're about to lose dramatically, Clay. We've gone quite a ways from just a couple of weeks ago where the country seemed very much in favor of non-intervention, and now over 70% say they want a no-fly zone.
1: Well, this is, I think, utterly the danger, and the analogy we've used, and I think it's a good one on this show, is the guy who loses the fist fight And maybe Putin is losing the fistfight right now and isn't happy with the result and the embarrassment that comes with that loss and decides to bring a knife or a gun or brings in a bunch more guys to try to exact revenge over what has happened. I also think we should mention, Buck, the situation in Poland. We talked about that live on the show yesterday, and I think diagnosed what ultimately the State Department ended up uh, coming to that same conclusion, which was, and to reiterate for people out there who may have missed this, the idea was Poland was going to give airplanes, uh, jets, fighter jets, to Ukraine, but they were going to do it by using a base in Germany to make the transfer. And initially we said, look, if they try to do it in Poland – then the Russians may well attack those jets before they get airborne. And so Poland said, hey, we'll put those jets in Germany. But what you then create is the possibility of Vladimir Putin attacking Germany to try to keep those jets from going into Ukraine and making it to Ukraine airspace. And so what you're pointing to, Buck, 70% of people may favor a no-fly zone, but they're probably thinking about the no-fly zone in the context of what happened in Iraq, where we had total air superiority. And we weren't in danger of creating World War III. I thought Marco Rubio said it well when he said, look, a no-fly zone basically creates the the entire uh, situation for World War III to exist. And if that were to end up happening, what we're doing is so, sort of a slow walk up to potentially an escalating situation where the United States gets officially drawn in. And that's the debate we were having yesterday, Buck. At what point does aid become not aid anymore but an actual tacit action to put you in as a combatant to me fighter planes feels like it's pretty close
0: i think it was last week clay when when i said here i understand we're rooting for ukraine because they're the underdogs they've been invaded and there's all these reports about how how strong the resistance has been the russian war machine is vicious it is fierce and it is gaining ground they are currently if you look at it on a map, carving up areas of Ukraine and establishing total control on the ground. Now, it's not a majority of Ukraine, but there's a whole region in the north, a region in the east and a region in the south where they're effectively creating a de facto annexation for the Russian Federation. That's happening right now. They're also increasing the shelling. They're increasing the destructiveness that they're willing to engage in at this phase and when we're talking about a no fly zone to the point you just made a second ago, it is, you know, when you put American planes in the sky and you say we will shoot down Russian planes. Now it just turns into who's going to fire first, because there there's no way Russian planes and American planes are in a no fly zone and they're just flying pl- uh, past each other. And nothing happens. Right. We know that. So here's a former ambassador is actually on MSNBC saying you shouldn't call it just a no fly zone. Here's what you should call it. I think a no fly zone is is the wrong move. Let's just get rid of this euphemism, no-fly zone. Let's call it for what it is, is war. If we try to implement a no-fly zone, that means that an American pilot has to shoot down a Russian pilot. And if we do that, that's a declaration of war. And Vladimir Putin has been very clear that that's the way he sees it. And if we're prepared to do that, if the American people want to go to war with Russia, I think it would be a mistake. But if we're prepared to do it, then we should have a vote in the U.S. Congress because the Congress is supposed to declare war. That's what we need to do first. We should stop calling it a no-fly zone, and we should start calling it declaration against uh, Russia to go to war. That was former U.S. ambassador to Russia for a long time, uh, McFaul, Well, I'll say is, is a leftist and something of a loon on things like Trump issues. But on this point, on this issue, Clay, I think what he's saying is true.
1: I think what he's saying is right. And also, Buck... It doesn't even require a conscious decision and intent to shoot down a plane. You know this as well as anybody out there listening to would also. The amount of potential errors that could come into play when you've got all of these jets flying around over Ukraine. Even if there is an attempt to avoid conflict, it virtually is impossible to have that conflict avoidance occur. So... Yeah, I think that's really uh that's really where the rubber meets the road. We have to decide what is our limit in terms of engagement as it pertains to Russia and Ukraine. And so far to me, and I don't know if you agree with this buck, but putting jets, giving jets to Ukrainians and allowing them to take off and pilot those jets feels awfully close to me. I mean, they, they, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I'm thinking about it almost in, you know, try to think about it from a Russian Vladimir Putin perspective. It's one thing if you're giving guns. Uh, it's another thing if you're giving even the uh, the the anti, uh, anti-tank apparatus and everything else. Theoretically, Ukraine could find ways to buy that on the black market. You can't buy a jet on the black market, right? Like you can't just randomly end up with one of these uh, high-powered jets, so there is to me a standard where giving armaments goes beyond just, "Hey, here's some guns, here's some anti-tank missiles, here's some javelin, uh, javelin materials." And oh by the way, here's 20 fighter jets. The fighter jets feels to me, Buck, like a pretty substantial acceleration if I'm looking at this from a Russia perspective.
0: Well, if they're going to be take I mean if they are taking off from bases outside Ukraine, which yes, they have to be. Which they initially would would be. I mean, I don't think yes. they're going to draw them uh, they're not going to put them on on trucks and take them across the border by land. So they're going to fly them in. But if they're flying strikes from outside of Ukrainian territory, the Russians are going to see that as—I mean—that is an act. That is an act of war. I mean, we just need to start even, using these terms. That's an act of war. If you're if you're allowing someone else to fly planes off to do strikes against you, uh, you're going to look at that as they're a
1: belligerent. Now they're in the it, conflict. It, even to your point, you have to start that way. Right. Because they're not going to put these things on trains or on big trucks and try to somehow cross the border with, with the plane on the ground. Like you have to have them take off with Ukrainian pilots from a other air, you know, of another country to fly in. That feels to me like if I'm Russia a uh, a declaration of war in some ways it's different than bringing guns or bringing these other materials across the border to me i don't do you feel the same way that that feels like a fairly substantial acceleration
0: it's, it's an escalation for sure which is why i think the uh the us response to it has been whoa hold on a second we didn't coordinate yeah, on true. this yet yeah. so there's there's clearly something different plus we were already selling armaments i mean you know the the, the chinese yes. i mean there are people that have been selling armaments to russia we're not about to say we're at war with them right there but right. there's something more specific and something right you know next to the battlefield so to speak about uh, allowing the the migs to be transferred to ukraine that clearly um is raising is raising uh, concerns raising tensions and I, i'm amazed clay at the people say and i've seen this now Putin's not gonna fire nukes if we start shooting his
1: planes out of the sky. Yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big bold gamble to just be saying that. That's
0: that's you know, think what we're talking. We're not we're not saying, you know, oh the ruble might tank fifteen percent if we start shooting planes out of the sky. It's he won't fire nuclear weapons, folks. So this is what we're actually we're having this discussion right now. We've just come out of a two year pandemic, and we're closer in America at least to the prospect of a nuclear exchange than what? Any time since the years. Cuban, Cuban yeah. Missile Crisis, probably? I mean, let's be realistic. When was the last time we were really sitting around saying, this feels like it could go wrong and there could be nukes at any moment? Uh, it's been decades at a minimum. certainly and 35 years are.
1: at least back to the 80s.
0: Look at how quickly we've moved along. I mean, I'm kind of stunned, Clay, at the polling. And by the people can say, well, Buck, maybe you shouldn't believe the polling. But I see a lot of people, a lot of people on the right, no, we need to do this no-fly zone for Ukraine. R- really? All of a sudden? A no-fly zone. We're two weeks into this. And by the way, what have I been saying? It's going to get ugly. Forget about the ghost of Kiev and the the beauty queen with her airsoft rifle and all this initial propaganda about the glorious resistance. This is going to turn into hell. It's going to look awful. We're going to see some of it. It's going to be playing on the emotions of everyone who's not in the conflict. And you have to think about this stuff rationally and in a calculated fashion. Because miscalculation here, Clay? That's the kind of stuff that keeps people up. I don't know what else to say. I mean, how 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 much higher can the stakes possibly be than what we're talking about right now with these decisions about U.S. involvement in Ukraine, which I'm sitting here saying no,
1: no. And here's a question that I have for you, Buck, and you may know the answer, and I don't know, and I haven't even seen it covered very much. What kind of protection, missile shield, do we have in the event that Putin decided to launch a nuke? Let's talk, I mean, to, to what extent do we have the knowledge technologically to be able to try to keep one of these things from landing. I, that used to be talked about a lot in the 1980s yeah. and the early 90s when the Cold War was still kind of in conscious thought. I don't remember having that conversation in 30 years. Pose it to do this way, and then we'll bring in somebody who understands the combat uh, combat on the ground
0: uh, very well, You know how this stuff goes. Jack Carr, former Navy SEAL, he's a sniper, saw combat overseas. He'll be joining, best-selling author, too. You guys, I'm sure, have read his books. Uh, he'll be joining us in just a few minutes. Clay, I would just say this. The government that just made us mask up for two years unnecessarily <laughs> is yeah. not a government that I sleep well at night hoping would be able to shoot a nuclear weapon out of the sky in time. I'm going to tell you that yeah. right now. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I've am i been out of the system. I've been out of the, the national security side for a while. So I don't even know what the current capabilities are. And fortunately, because it's I'm sure very, very sensitive and secret. But I don't I don't sleep well at night thinking about that. We'll come back into all this, folks, in just a second. Look, homeowners, if you haven't locked into a lower mortgage rate yet, you know you're gauging your luck against against the countdown clock. Interest rates will start to grow again this winter and spring. They've been fluctuating a lot lately, but they've still got some of the lowest options we've seen in a long time. So it's really worth your while to speak with American financing. It's America's home for home loans. You'll get a free mortgage review from a salary-based consultant. This is someone who's focused on your needs. There's no pressure, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees. This is just a simple conversation around custom loans that may fit your life better. It could mean up to $1,000 in monthly savings. That's an extra $12,000 a year. Think of how much that can help, then pick up the phone to learn more. Do it now. You cannot afford to miss out on what's available right now. Call American Financing at 800-777-8109. That's 800-777-8109. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS 182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org.
1: Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time,
2: 833-995-GOLD. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for
0: additional details. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk.
1: You'll get the same quality of service as AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, but for half the cost. The average-sized family saves almost $1,000 a year, all with no contracts and no activation fees. You can keep your cell phone number and your phone Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us. Great Wednesday out there for all of you, I hope. And Buck, we went to break. We were having an interesting conversation, and it's one that I hear almost no discussion about. And I'm curious with your background in the CIA, what you would say. Let's pretend that Vladimir Putin is backed up against the wall and he makes the decision to fire a nuclear weapon. Let's presume that he decides to do that. Obviously an awful, horrible situation. Where does he fire it? And what are the chances that we could, meaning the the countries that potentially would be targeted, shoot down that nuclear missile without it landing? And what does that even look like? I mean, is that a cataclysmic explosion when you shoot down a nuclear warhead in the air? Like, what is it? What would no. the where do you think he would aim? And what do you think the chances are that we could shoot it down?
0: Look, there's a there's a whole set. And this is. This is a little bit, Clay, like in the sports world, there are people who know baseball really well and people who know football really well. And yeah. I'll just tell everybody missiles yeah. is, yeah. you know, Your I, level I of have expertise. a I have a yeah. baseline level of knowledge about this from uh, from time in government and government and academically. So this is not and I've I've got some friends who could come on who could speak to this with greater specificity than I can. So I always want to tell this audience what I know and what I don't know yeah. in terms of where he would fire. Um, I think the most likely scenario, and this is from conversations I've had with missile people. Yes, that's how we'll call you know, the missile. By the way,
1: a missile guy, I or or girl, whoever that is, would actually be kind of a fascinating conversation because are you with me that there's just not that much discussion about this in an intelligent yes, fashion? Yes,
0: I, I think people are waving off the possibility of a a low yield nuclear weapon being used. Remember, there's different grades and levels of nukes, but a low yield nuclear weapon being used by Putin as essentially the, all right, you know I've got ICBMs, you know I've got a lot more. That was a taste of what's coming. Do you want more? So I think the light you're asking me, if Putin does go with that madman move of firing off a nuke, I think it's a low-yield tactical, they call it tactical, nuclear weapon that goes off somewhere in theater. And I think if there's airfields involved, for example, in a no-fly zone, I mean, that would be the first, that would probably be the first place you go. In terms of whether they could shoot it down, I, I mean... I, I honestly I don't know
1: I don't and I'd know I'd love to know Buck even a simple question like how much notice do you have I mean you were saying you don't have a lot of faith in the United States I, I get that yeah, that's just, right just a now. general
0: thing since they make me mask up on airplanes still like yeah. the morons.
1: no doubt but when the when it goes up when the missile is fired how much time knowledge do we have uh, there's some really interesting questions uh, that aren't being talked about very much uh, cars today need more than an owner's manual to uh, understand them no doubt more technology than ever and you know that means more can go wrong so how do you prepare for the unexpected maintenance and repair bill cost you get a world-class protection plan that's where car shield comes into play the number one auto protector in america for a reason having earned the trust of millions of motorists whether your car still has a brand new car smell or it's what people politely refer to as vintage car shield as a protection plan for you Easy to get your car fixed when you have problems. You can get hooked up thanks to Carshield. So how do you get set up? Simple phone number and website here in a moment. You get in touch with Carshield. You get your coverage today. carshield.com slash clay and buck. You can also call 800 391 8888 for 10% off carshield.com slash clay and buck. Do it today.
0: How America can help Ukraine cripple the Russian war machine. That's the Fox News opinion piece that I co wrote with our guest coming up right now, Jack Carr, the man himself. He is a former Navy SEAL sniper and number one uh, New York Times best selling author of The Devil's Hand, which you should all go check out. Uh, Jack, thanks so much, sir, for joining us. Appreciate you being here on Clay and Buck.
2: Oh, thanks for thanks for having me. What uh, what crazy times? Who would have ever thought that in 2022 we'd be talking about a nuclear confrontation between the United States and Russia? Especially for those of us who grew up in the, the Cold War era and saw it uh, come to end in the early 90s, uh, it's uh, it's quite surreal.
0: I mean, Jack, you know, right now there's this discussion about no fly zones, and I'm everyone's talking about this. Clay was asking, I thought some great questions. I don't know if you heard some of it right before you came on about what what, what could we do? First of all. Russian military doctrine when it comes to a nuclear first strike is what, as far as we know, and what are the chances we could even counter it before it went off? And what, what can you tell us about this component of the equation, the most terrifying component of how things could go terribly wrong in Ukraine and, and in the region?
2: Sure. it's uh, So, the, yeah, the Russian military doctrine does integrate the use of tactical nuclear weapons, which uh, which means they have them and they could be employed. Um, and they also have this uh, policy of escalating to de-escalate. So either a threat or maybe an attack, not on a major city, but on a minor one, just to show what they could do to a major city uh, or to infrastructure. Uh, so th- that's all part of the playbook. But when we're looking at this, we often look at all of these things through a Western lens, and that continues to come back to bite us we have a history of doing that uh and we're doing that in this case as well because the russian population has been on a steep decline since the end of the cold war and russia and ukraine has the largest ethnic population of uh, population of ethnic russians outside of russia uh, so they need those people to continue to survive uh, they need that to field an army if they want to continue to field an army at its current level. So they really needed to do this, uh, not for energy, not for anything like that, but so they could continue to survive. So when we look at it through that lens, then that seems that the Russian people, the Russian government, Putin in particular, feels like they're backed into a corner and they need this ethnic Russian population to survive, which means that they will probably do anything to get it, um, and that means that they possibly they could use tactical nuclear weapons. So that is something that is on the table, and it is a scary proposition, and that has to be factored into the U.S. calculus when we look at what is in the United States' best interest. Uh, is that it, which at the top of that list should be avoiding a nuclear confrontation with Russia. They have about six thousand nuclear weapons. I think we have about five thousand. Regardless, we both have the largest stockpiles of nuclear weapons on the world, and we want to do everything we can to avoid using them because no one wins in that scenario.
1: No doubt, Jack, and I appreciate you coming on. And and this is kind of the the questions that I have that don't seem to be discussed that much in the media or the larger uh, discussion surrounding these issues. So a couple of things, the building off what you just said. A tactical nuclear weapon has the capacity. I'm sure there's different, uh, loads for lack of a better term in terms of the, the damage that they can do. What kind of damage are we talking about a tactical nuke being capable of, of creating? And what kind of defenses? What is the likelihood that in Europe, let's say Russia deploys a nuclear weapon that it could be shut down, be shot down before it actually is allowed to explode do we have any sense for that and who would be doing that is that a nato uh defense would they just allow it to land in ukraine how would this be uh handled by the larger universe of uh, geopolitical actors
2: right so those are all all great questions uh, they have a variety of nuclear weapons, so they have everything from uh, nuclear weapons, obviously ballistic missiles on submarines, uh, to the tactical ones too. If you go back, even in, looking back in the '80s and uh, and even '70s, those uh, they call them suitcase uh, suitcase bombs back then, a little bigger than a suitcase, obviously. But you can see those online, see pictures of them. Uh, so they have a variety of ways. They don't even need to launch. A missile. They can. Uh, they, they. I would guess that they still have those uh, those suitcase bombs somewhere uh, after the end of the Cold War, and uh, they can certainly drop those off in the middle of the city and uh, and leave just to show the world, hey, this is a smaller city. We destroyed the entire thing you want us to do this to one of the larger cities? And of course the, uh, the implied threat there is that if we can do it here, we can do it elsewhere in Europe. Uh, and of course we want to avoid triggering article five um, uh, of, 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 of NATO so that we don't have to get into this nuclear conflict with Russia. So um, the, Good thing, I think, if you look at weather patterns, I did quickly scan weather patterns, and uh, using them right now, it doesn't look like it's beneficial because the winds aren't quite right for that because you use one of those missiles and it blows back on you, uh, then it's obviously uh, – you know- that's, that's, that's not doing you any good. Uh, and right now we have some, Some the winds are in our favor, but those winds will shift at some point. Um, but I would think that our intelligence services are looking at this extremely closely right now and figuring out the best way to counter and avoid a nuclear confrontation.
0: We're speaking to former Navy SEAL sniper, Jack Carr, also author of The Devil's Hand, uh, about the situation right now in Ukraine. Uh, Jack and I co-wrote a piece on foxnews.com. You can check it out at clayandbuck.com on how america can help ukraine cripple the russian war machine jack let's dive into that for a second here in terms of the ground combat it has been mostly ground combat so far the russian aerial advantage has been substantial but not totally dominant the way that some had anticipated so what is allowing the ukrainians to put up a stronger fight than anticipated and what do you think the american hand in this as we've already made the decision that we're helping them so how should we help them what should we give them with logistics and support
2: Right, so it's it's interesting that the uh, that the Russians are not dominating the skies right now, because uh, you would think that would be one of the first things that they would would do, because I think they can, that uh, they they have that capability. Um, so how do you counter that? Well, you can counter that with Stinger missiles, and uh, we know that because we look at the Soviet experience in Afghanistan from 1979 to, to 1989, and when we got those. Stinger missiles in there, uh, and trained the Mujahideen how to use them, uh, that turned the tide of the war. And that was September 26, 1986, outside of, uh, outside of Jalalabad when they shot down three Soviet Hind helicopters. And after that, over the net, and up to that point, from 1979 until 1986, uh, the Soviets dominated the skies over Afghanistan. After the Stingers were introduced, three years later, they were out. They lost that dominance in the sky. So that's one. And you can look to history for that. And then you can look at our experience in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And you can see the IEDs, uh, specifically the, the EFPs that came over from Iran and how that weapon of uh, tactical level weapon really gained a strategic importance because uh, it defeated the most technologically superior armor in the world uh, and undermined support the war effort. So uh, those on the ground that uh, are studying warfare in Ukraine can look to both of those examples and then also look to the other things that are working for them right now, namely the Javelin anti-tank uh, missile right there. Uh, so you get stingers, you get Javelins, you get uh, homemade, essentially IEDs, EFPs on the ground there, and you're in for a protracted fight. And once again, that Russian army wasn't really built to uh, to uh, invade countries. It was built to occupy countries where governments had been installed by the Kremlin, and then there's an intelligence apparatus that's uh, is more accurately described as a secret police that silence and eliminates dissidents, but uh, to invade and then battle a well-supplied, decades-long insurgency, uh, as we saw in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, it's difficult, and it's, it's even more difficult when your army is uh, is less prepared for that than we were in Iraq and Afghanistan.
1: Jack, you learn from every conflict and every struggle. What has surprised you the most that you were not anticipating so far in Russia's invasion of Ukraine?
2: I thought well, uh, I would thought that they would be they would take over Ukraine in about three days. Uh, they massed their forces and I thought they would roll through. But I think what really turned the tide and really what allowed what, what uh, uh, prevented that from happening is leadership. Uh, we saw leadership at the top. Of course, we we offered to uh, bring the president of Ukraine out and he said no. And the world got to see that. It was, And they didn't get to see that through our press secretary. They got to see it real time on social media. Uh, so the, the messaging in this conflict is extremely important. That leadership is extremely important. And uh, that really rallied not just the Ukrainian military, but the Ukrainian citizenry as well. And uh, most of the West. So I think that is something that uh, that is that surprised me the most, Um, because had the Russians just rolled through over over three days, we would be in a different position right now. Um, They'd probably be holding Ukraine. Maybe there'd be an insurgency. Maybe there there wouldn't be. But the government would be decapitated and there wouldn't be that leadership at the top. So it surprises me. That's one. And then two is that they didn't uh, assassinate the president of Ukraine and have that be the trigger for the invasion so uh those things were the the most surprising i think thus far
0: former navy seal jack carr go check out at clayandbuck.com uh the op-ed we co-wrote on how the essentially the ground war can be turned against the russians with u.s armaments um and uh jack appreciate it also check out the devil's hand jack uh, thanks so much for your time today
2: thanks so much for having me appreciate it
0: Folks, when you become a Pure Talk customer, you're suddenly in the know. In an hour's time, you discover the one secret that AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile doesn't want you to know. Your self-service is going to be exactly the same, as and your phone number, by the way, is also the same. The only difference, you're going to be paying much, much less money every month for the same kind of service. That's because Pure Talk uses the exact same towers and the exact same network as one of those companies I mentioned, but doesn't burden you with all the extra costs. Don't even hesitate to switch from Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile the pure talk for your cell phone service for the first time in a long time you're going to be paying for just the service you need and want like unlimited talk text and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month from your cell phone dial pound 250 say pure talk you'll save an additional 50% off your first month you can literally be switched over to pure talk service in less than 10 minutes dial pound 250 say pure talk pure talk is simply smarter wireless
1: Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D.
0: Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For $20 a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my cell phone company, Pure Talk.
1: You'll get the same quality of service as AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, but for half the cost. The average-sized family saves almost $1,000 a year, all with no contracts and no activation fees. You can keep your cell phone number and your phone or get great deals on the latest iPhones and Androids. Make the switch today and
0: save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values, who supports our military and veterans, creates American jobs, and refuses to advertise on fake news networks. Go to puretalk.com slash buck to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com
1: slash buck. The number one fantasy sports app in America is PrizePicks. It's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Five million members already active on Prize Picks. If you've not yet downloaded Prize Picks, do it today. with as little as four picks. More player action on Prize Picks now than ever, and it's the best way to get action on sports in more than 30 states now. Prize picks also gives you injury insurance, so your picks stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Download the free Prize Picks app and open your account. Use my name, Clay, for a first deposit match up to $100. Download the Prize Picks app, Use promo code Clay, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. A lot of seriousness there. We were talking about potentially nuclear attack. I was like, you know, maybe it's a little bit early in the day to talk nuclear attack. Coming up on lunchtime, East Coast. Some of you are just finishing off breakfast on the West Coast. And I know gas prices are skyrocketing everywhere although small positive gas prices have come off about 10% from the all-time highs they have hit so maybe there was a little bit of uh a little bit of speculation going on early in the energy sector maybe it's not going to be as bad I don't I I don't want to to try to sell false uh, false positives here but at least coming back off 10% from the 13-year years, thirteen year highs is a positive, even as prices continue to go up across the country. But we've got uh, a Trump impersonator. I want to make sure that everybody out there in the news media who is listening and covers this show understands this is an impersonator. This is not Donald Trump himself. He has not called into the show. This is a Trump impersonator, Sean Farish, talking about gas prices enjoy
2: the gas is too damn high i just have to say the gas is too damn high look at this 489 it's a disgusting thing i miss it when the gas used to be low you know it used to be so low lower than fake news cnn's ratings or aoc's iq now the gas is high higher than jerry Nadler's pants or hunter biden after a night on the town Sleepy Joe, he could do it, you know. He could unleash American energy, but he'd rather talk to Venezuela and Iran. He'd rather negotiate with communists and terrorists instead of negotiating with hard-working Americans. It's a disgrace what's happening. The gas is too damn high, but it doesn't have to be, believe me.
0: That is the best unbelievable. He's the best Trump impersonator I have ever heard. I mean, there might be others, but I've heard a lot of them. That guy's the best Trump person. First of all, it's great content too. Like it's very well written. He's not just sounding like him, but he actually is saying funny things about everything. And by, I mean, I think Trump would say everything like that. That was all Trump stuff that Trump would say. I mean, he's That's, that's why
1: I said cuz if you just got in your car and you didn't hear my introduction and you just turned that on, you'd be like, "Oh, they're playing a clip from Trump or he's on the show again." Uh, and and I maybe I shouldn't have teased that up. I should have just sit. Uh, yeah, I would not let you to play see whether or not to see, the see news if people picked gonna, up. Yeah, that's right.
0: If he if he Clay if that guy called you and he was like Clay Travis, I want to be on your show, the best show tomorrow. You know, if he did the whole thing, would I, I would be like, yes, sir, Mr. President. I hundred percent
1: would think that was Trump. I mean, if that guy called Saudi Arabia right now. I bet oh, they would. He talk could get an oil deal done. They won't talk to Biden, but I bet they would talk to the Trump impersonator.
0: Uh, he he could definitely get. He could probably do an international deal as the former president right now on the phone. That guy. That guy's amazingly good. And look, we got we got to find, and we will find here on the show certainly the uh, the the light moments. And speaking of which, by the way, I get all excited about this, Clay. What is if you're going to recommend one weekend read nonfiction book to somebody? What is it like weekend nonfiction? and something that you just, you can't even tailor it to the person. You're just giving them one book that's nonfiction to read that you think they're going to like.
1: I read a, uh, I mean, first of all, that's a broad category. That's a tough question. I'm kind of I know. a nerd, so I'd be like, I'm reading a book about Pickett's Charge, you know, and I'm like, ah, you know, Third Day Battle at Gettysburg. I'm not sure that every person out there is going to love it. The the One of the best nonfiction books that I have read, and I came to this one a little bit late, The Lost City of Z. Have you read that book?
0: No, I read the, uh, I think it was the... Uh the law City Oh gosh, I'm forgetting. Um some anyway, do you like that book? I haven't read that one. City of the White Monkey God was the book I was. Oh, sure I read that. That was yeah. great too. I'm, yeah. I'm
1: kind of uh I'm kind of an uh like you know explorer, but you're you're hitting on this because of the Ernest Shackleton. Yes. Uh I have not I, read this this book at all that we were talking about off the so, air. So
0: they just found it's been over a hundred years since the ship sank two miles beneath the surface of the water in antarctica the book endurance is incredible it's about the shackleton voyage a shackleton voyage at the time 1914 right before really right at the early stage of of world war one i think it might have been a few weeks before or a few weeks after i think i I forget but anyway 1914 whole world was watching this thing clay supposed to make their way across all of antarctica and they get stuck in an ice pack on this ship and you got to assume these guys are anar. This is pre-cell phone, pre-battery, pre—you know, pre-phone. I mean, um, and these guys, man. I, I mean, I don't want to give stuff away. It's just a great read. I mean, if whether you're h- cuddling up next to the fireplace with a glass of scotch, or you're on a hammock on a warm day reading about what these guys went through, you'd be like, at least I don't have to go through that. So, endurance is the book, and they just found the ship. It's actually well preserved. I, I I've never recommended this book to anyone, Clay, who wasn't like, that's a great read.
1: I need to read it. You were talking to me with uh, talking about it off air with me. And uh, I also love reading those books because uh, to your point, you're hanging out by your fireplace or you're in a hammock. It just brings home how small. And this is why I think studying history is so significant in many ways. Because it brings home how frequently we get obsessed with relatively small challenges when we've overcome massive challenges as a country.
0: Yeah, imagine trying to chase an elephant seal with a harpoon across an ice floe. It's month four, and you've dropped 30 pounds already. You know what I mean? Like, that's a tough day.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit tougher than uh, than than some of the challenges that uh, that we are told every day are overwhelming in this country. My we'll iPhone,
0: my iPhone freezes, Clay, and I have <laughs> yeah. I have a panic attack. It freezes for five seconds, and it's five seconds of hell.
1: Yeah. When we come back, by the way, speaking of uh, historical analogies, we've talked some about Zelensky and the impact that he has had as the figurehead of resistance in Ukraine. He spoke to the British Parliament and specifically tried to make himself uh, Winston Churchill. What do we think of those historical analogies, and what is his overall importance to the resistance as we go forward? Who's there for heroes or the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is severely injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans, and who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation.
0: The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs comprise their In the Line of Duty programs. They're all dedicated to honoring our nation's heroes and their families.
1: The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America in so many ways. Over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year, dozens of golf outings, and the Tunnel to Towers 9-11 institutes educating kids in K-12 through grades to help our nation keep its vow and never forget.
0: More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org.
1: Or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Or we'll talk about it coming up in the next hour.